friends, you're listening to Autism and Us with me, Maisie. My five-year-old son was diagnosed with autism a year ago, and if I'm honest, I didn't know anything about autism. Oh wait, I'd seen Rain Man in the 80s. At the beginning, I felt devastated, isolated and afraid. Diagnosis day, the darkest of my life. It wasn't the masses of written information I was given that helped me. It was sharing stories with other Spectrum parents I met along the way, giving me tips and advice, and most importantly, made me feel like I'm not alone. I am no expert and don't claim to be. I'm a parent at the start of my journey. Each episode, I will be talking to a parent or a close family member of someone with autism, and they will share their story from the early years to diagnosis to present day. Welcome to Autism and Us. This week, I'm talking to Anna Samuel. Anna invited me to her lovely home in South London to talk to me about her son Ethan and his diagnosis of autism. I met Anna through Early Bird, which is a workshop run by the National Autistic Society. Hello, Anna. Hello. Welcome to the podcast Autism and Us. And we're talking about Ethan. Yep. Who's your son? How old is he? He is four in a few weeks' time, in a week, in fact. Oh, wow. I believe that. You're married? I am married, yep. And it was five years. Five years, congrats. Um, <laughs> and Ethan was planned? Ethan was planned. Pregnancy went really well in the sense I had no sickness at yeah. all. I was very lucky. Kind of um, felt okay most of the time. Didn't have like crazy mood swings. Yeah. Um, and did you find out he was a boy? I did find out uh, at sort of just before the five month scan. I yeah. had an earlier scan. I wanted a girl in a in a kind of ideal world but I really I didn't mind and I was yeah. thrilled actually when I sort of sort of got my head around it and thought I went back I went to Asda straight away and bought um and bought some dungarees which was next to the place where I'd had the scan because I was just so excited to, to buy some boy clothes oh I was like um, oh, I won't be able to buy any Disney stuff I was really sad when I first found out were you did you want yeah, a girl then? I really wanted a girl because I'm obsessed with like little mermaids so I was like yeah so pregnancy Pregnancy was fine until um, the near the end. So I do. I don't know if it was. I'm not really sure why this happened. They think it might be because I did a lot of exercise throughout, right. like you know, just Pilates and stuff. But yeah. I've always done a lot of sport. But my stomach muscles never split, so I was in unbelievable pain. Um, and he was right under my ribs. I couldn't really walk in the at the last month. I was in so much pain. Um, and my waters broke when I was 36 weeks. Okay. Um, and unexpectedly. Unexpectedly, yeah. in the middle of the night. My husband was <laughs> wandering around with a... You know when you go to um, uh, NCT, oh, yeah. they tell you all the signs and they say, if your waters break, um, it's supposed to smell of hay. So I, I went, my husband was on the ground with a Q-tip, smelling <laughs> it, going... Does it smell of hay? I was like, Robbie, it's definitely waters. I trust yeah, me, I haven't yeah, peed myself. Yeah. So, what, what a guy. He's <laughs> down there smelling it. <laughs> Is it hay? So I had no, nothing happened. Like my waters broke as in a tiny bit. Yeah. But I was just, I went for lunch. My waters were... Yeah, and you were like, I'm actually in labour now. But, but nothing happened. It was very yeah. strange. I had like a, you know, pessary, whatever, nothing happened. And in the end, they induced me, and I seemed to have some kind of allergic reaction to the the, the stuff. And Great. I went. We basically lost his heart rate mm. totally. And they said, "Right, you know, we're not even going to have time to do an emergency section. We're going to have to prepare you for general." 
um, which is apparently known as a sash and grab in the medical circles. Uh. Um, but last minute, literally, they they prepared me. My poor husband was shaking so much he couldn't even get the uh, scrubs on. Yeah. And they prepared me, and as they were preparing me for this, um, his heart rate started up again, and they said, what do you want to do? Do you want to try again? Because, you know, it was only a few seconds they said, we, we can prepare you. And I said, OK, let's try again. And the same thing happened. Then they just did a C-section. But by that stage, they got an epidural in. OK. He was tiny. Both my children were, actually. Um, he was five pounds one, which is very small, even for... Because in the end, he came out 36 and a half weeks. Even for that, that's right. small. He was very prem-looking, look, absolutely tiny. There was just nothing of him. They, he was in... Um, he wasn't in ICU, but he was in special care baby unit. I'm not sure what it's yeah. called. Um just for, for like half a day and then he was out and then we took him home um and our little boy I remember going past a pub on the way back home and it was like a a, a Friday night and there were loads of people and I looked at it and it just seemed such a lifetime ago I, I couldn't put the two together I thought yeah. that will never be us ever again how depressing I know that's that's the kind of it doesn't hit you until the baby's physically there yeah that we were terrified in that car. I just thought, how can anyone let us leave with him? Don't they know how totally <laughs> useless we are? We don't know what we're doing. So um, Ethan comes home yep. and, uh, you know, the blissful six months or yeah. seven months or eight months or a year. Um, and when did you start to, or when did other people, because for me it was other people first. Um, my mum who said something about Charlie first, but I was... You, I couldn't. I couldn't go there. Do you know what's start. so weird? When you say the blissful six months, I knew so much before then. Did like you? I didn't know what it was. I didn't. I certainly didn't know it was yeah, autism. That's but I knew something wasn't right. Okay. So basically, from when he was tiny, he was the calmest, most content child I've ever met. And I was there feeling very proud and thinking, we must be doing something right here. My mum was like, you're clearly doing a great job. And I, I thought, I must be. Yes, I'm really proud of myself. This is, you know, he's calm. This, I must be being relaxed and feeling really great about it. And he was an amazing sleep. He slept through from 10 weeks. Um, and all these things I just thought, you know, part of it, luck. Part of it, I'm, I can't be doing too bad a job. That's what I really thought. I can't be doing too bad. He's such a good baby. That's what you say about Charlie. Such a good baby. I can't be being too neurotic or, you know, he wouldn't, this this is, I'm doing something right. Um, I remember he would, when he was very little, I, we're talking three or four months, I remember putting him under an arch, you know, those um, kind of uh, mobile arches oh, yeah. with the yeah. sounds and the things to touch and... He would sit there for half an hour, happily, just looking up. And I tried to engage. He, he was happy to sort of see me in his peripheral vision. He wasn't interested in playing with me at all. He would just look. And what I realised, again, you often realise these things with hindsight, mm. with my daughter, for example, who is seemingly neurotypical, um, she would reach up and touch and, play. you know, he would just look at the lights. Right. And he was so, again, content. I thought, ah. Oh. And he used to, when I pass him to people, he was happy to go to anyone, anyone. And not just when he was little, but when he was older too. Yeah. And my friends would talk about all this stranger danger and they'd be like, God, I'm so jealous. He, yeah. He'll go to anyone. And again, I thought, this must be because I pass him around a lot. This is good. I'm doing something right. And it's all this feeling that, it, that suddenly goes the opposite. Yeah, it um, rings completely, is ringing true for me as well. So I say the blissful couple of months, but obviously it... I say that because I just didn't know. Yeah. But all the signs, a lot of the signs were there. And the same with Charlie. So he 
he would never cry when I'd put, he'd never put his arms out to me when no, I picked him up from the childminders. Right. He would never put his arms out and say, mummy. Yeah. Um, and I used to say, oh, he's such, so social. Yeah. He just loves, he just He'll loves going. Yeah, yeah. Anyone will do. He never cries for me. No. I, and I was like, he makes it so easy for me when I go yeah. to work to I drop him off. Yes, absolutely. I remember I had a friend and we shared like a kind of childminder in the early days and her daughter would be dropped off and just cry her eyes out and Ethan wouldn't and I'd think oh, he's, he's so regulated oh, I'm so proud <laughs> um, how we how we laugh now I know, I know right how we laugh <laughs> then as he got a little bit older I remember again all these things I say I knew I certainly didn't know what it was and I didn't yeah. even didn't even cross my mind but in the back of your mind you noticed a few things uh, yeah, but you never I, absolutely yeah. I just thought he was a bit different I remember mm. feeling like I like the fact that he's quirky Yeah. I always used to think I really don't care how my child turns out as long as he's happy and I just thought oh he's a bit quirky I quite like that yeah. like he's a bit different um, did he sit up at six months and hit yes, those milestones? Yes, he did. It. All those milestones he hit, maybe very slightly later, but not really. Um, pretty much on target for all of those. Again, there were little things that <laughs> you notice so much more with your second child, if yeah. you know, and when you're just more aware. But my younger child will do things like when she was tiny, she would, she would obviously she learned smart, similar age to Ethan. And when I used to think, oh, there's something not quite right about his engagement, I, and I'd think to myself, but is he smiling? Is he laughing? Yes, he is. But again, looking back now, what he would do was he would smile and laugh at something specific that I did. So I'd go, boof, and he'd smile. But it was he was laughing for the sake of laughing. He, there was no engagement. He wasn't sharing that the experience. joy with me. Yeah. He wasn't interacting with me. He was just smiling for, because I'd made him smile. Yes, and almost like a lot of things Charlie does because I ask him to do them yeah. or because he knows that I command a response yeah. and he's like, okay. Absolutely. He, it was no joint attention, basically. Yeah. Whereas um, Sienna will, I'll look at her and she'll smile at me for the sake of smiling and I'll smile back. He, Ethan's never done that ever, even now till four. He won't mm. look at me and smile at me. He will give me eye contact, but in a very different way. So at one, obviously, um, so, you know, my son, Charlie, was walking around. Yeah. Seemingly quite happy. Obviously, no language because, you know, walking by one, talking by two. I was yep. still on track. Yeah. Um, but um, more obvious signs started then that I still didn't pick up. So Charlie started walking on his tiptoes. Yeah. And he also would never babble. But looking back, I didn't even think about because I didn't. No, but really, why would you? I just even. Yeah, it was weird. Like he my sister has a son who who is neurotypical and he just babbles yeah Sienna just, just does she yeah. can't be quiet they, they mimic what yeah, you're trying to say and they all, all the time so very young but from five but yeah. again you're not looking for those signs because why would you yeah um so even all these things that I as I said that I mentioned I noticed that they weren't usual but I just thought oh he's they're just not usual yeah. so what yeah. um I remember one really specific thing and it was I would say because I had a, a very good NCT friend um who's obviously child was the same age and I remember going to her house and her daughter pointing something out in the book. Her mum was reading it and she said, that one, that one. And I remember looking at my friend saying, my gosh, Ethan has never pointed at anything. She said, well, what do you mean? Like in books? I said, no, literally anything ever. He's never pointed. And again, I didn't think this meant anything. I just noticed it. Yeah. And I tried to sort of you know, get him to sort of explain, where is it? And I, you know, but he would just wouldn't do it. Wasn't wouldn't interested do in doing it. it. 
I didn't, again, know what that meant. I also noticed around that time that he never responded to his name. Um, in the end, if I went, Ethan, 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 you know, and he would just sort of tune in to me, but not because I said his name ever. And I did notice that. But again, with my daughter as, a, as an example, that it's just very interesting seeing the difference from sort of, I don't know, maybe four months, five months, I'd say her name in passing in a sentence to someone else and she'd look and I'd say, I'd think, why are you looking at me? Oh my, do you understand your name? It was very weird. Yeah, you, re uh, you realise how, how um, quickly neurotypical children develop. Yes, I mean, it's, it's not really bizarre. talking by two, it's almost, they're, they're babbling by 15 exactly. months. You know, did, did Ethan ever lift up a toy and, and show it, it to you. That's the thing. He would absolutely have eye contact. That's one of the okay. things. Okay, because they're, they're all different, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he would give you eye contact, but it just wasn't... Sometimes he'd just stare at me, or he'd... He wouldn't use it, as, as we said, in a joint uh, interaction way. He, he wouldn't look at me um, to get my attention or to keep my attention, any of those, that, that, that way. But he, will, he would look at me, just, you know, he'd look around the room and he would look at me happily and then look mm. away. It wasn't, yeah. you know, intentional. Um, the other one other thing I was going to say that was a really, again, when I knew what the signs were, was something um, that I used to really struggle with. Again, it was the same friend. Um, we were out and about with her daughter and Ethan, and she was probably about... But certainly before she was two, maybe 19 months, something like that. And she was sort of on a scooter in a, you know, one that you could sit on, not the one that you push. And she was just going along the road with her mum. And I just looked, I was like, oh my, I had sort of palpitations. I said, but she's just next to you. And she said, well, what, do, what do you mean? Yeah. I said, I would never be able to walk out of the house and not grab straight away for Ethan because he would be off. And not just off and having no concept of danger, which is scary enough, but all children are like that to a degree. But what I realised the difference was, the innate difference was that she would use the concept of their relationship, the power of their relationship to bring her back. So she'd say, oh, OK, bye-bye then, mummy's going. And if she was running the other way, the second she said that, you know, she would want to be with her mummy, so she'd turn around. I'd, I wouldn't even have a chance to say, Ethan would be off, he would not look back. Yeah. And if I said... He's off. You know, Ethan, mummy's going. He could not give See a shit. <laughs> yeah. He didn't he didn't even turn. Yeah. Like, not bothered. And a few times I just watch him and I think, right, let's just see how far he can go. Yeah. Cause at some point he's gonna notice I'm not there and he's gonna care. And and no. He literally I had to go and find him. He went out of sight. Things started getting much, much worse. So quite suddenly, he started doing a lot of verbal stimming. And that was his thing. He would say the same sentence, but I mean, we're talking hundreds yeah. and hundreds and hundreds of time in a row. I want such seating. I want such seating. I want such seating. I want such seating. Yeah. I want such seating. But then it, the more upset he would get, it would be heightened, 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 heightened. And then he'd say if he was upset, whether he was angry, it, it was just like a, it was a calming thing for him. But it, well, I say that, but it didn't calm him. It seemed to have the opposite effect. So that was happening. And then he started self-harming. Um, he's never been violent with other other children like he's never hit and hit hit bitten anything anyone ever um but it was all to himself so he started headbanging on the ground I remember being upstairs in another room and hearing this thumping I thought what on earth is that and it was his head on the ground I mean I physically could not hit my head that hard on the ground and you know I'm going to throw this out there and you know hopefully people won't think I'm a really terrible mother with this but you know there were times when 
I remember thinking if I'd known this was what would have been my life, I would have chosen not to have children. I was so desperate. This is not yeah. by any means every day. I think that's a common theme that I've just, heard a lot yeah, of mums say. Abs- you know, I just thought this is not what I signed up for. This isn't fair. And I would feel, yeah, I used to just think, why can't I go back and not have this? I, 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 I choose not to have a child. Can I go back, please? Someone, yeah. can I just choose? No, I choose no. Yeah. Um... And, and you it, think it's always going to be like that? Oh yeah, and it and it isn't. That's that's the thing. I mean, it's so different now. So the the big change I think for me um, was speaking to my sister. So my sister is an occupational therapist, and mm. she is amazing, um, supportive, incredible, incredible sister. Um, She's very careful. I think I think looking back now, and I have spoken to her about this. I think she knew, or she heavily yeah. suspected my sister did as well she's a teacher she knew but she it's very i mean how yeah, do you broach that how yeah. do you broach and that? it's also so painful for them yeah. as well and they want to they they don't want to be right so even if they suspect it they're not going to say he was delayed with his speech not i mean he was d- delayed but not to the extent where i was really worried mm-hmm. um when he learned a word he would say it perfectly right for me and he would think about it for a long time and then say it and I should, this should have been a sign for, for any anyone with an autistic child. Um, his first word was touch. I mean, what kind of first word is that? My sister suggested that I took him to a speech and language therapist. She said, he's delayed. I just would like, you know, I think maybe you should look into why. Again, I think I knew, I know now that that's what she was sort of trying to push me towards. Right. Um, so I went to see a speech and language therapist. I got an assessment. She sort of, you know, commented on him being behind. She made a lot of comments about the lack of eye contact, the way that he used words and um, interaction. She wrote a report, which I sent to my sister and said, what do you think? She said, if I were to write that report, and she said, I've, you know, as an OT, I've had to write a lot of reports. And when I want to hint at something, that's what I would do. She's, she said she was frustrated for me because she said, as an OT, I can see what she's trying to hint at. Did she say the word? Yes, she did. I think she said, I think he's, she's trying to to hint at the fact that he has some autistic traits, um, but she's choosing not to say it. And that made my sister very cross because she said, you're mm. going, I'd said to the woman, you know, if you think there's any issues, I'm starting to wonder. I didn't say yeah. specifically what, because uh, I didn't know. But, you know, yeah. please, I'm I'm the kind of person that can deal with this. I would much prefer to know. I just want to help him as much as I can. And my sister was frustrated because she said she is trying to say that, but she's not. She, she hasn't got, you know, the balls and confidence <laughs> yeah. to yeah. actually write it. The first thing I did was look up autism, obviously, and I looked up early red flags. And there was, um, there was a site... And it had something like 20 early red flags. And Ethan was 18 of them. Well, I sent the, it to my husband, the uh, this red flag list. And my husband was like, yes, I can see there were a lot of symptoms, but, you know, he's definitely not. As is seemingly with every single person I've ever spoken to. No offence to the men out there, but it seems to be a pattern that is yes. just everyone. Yes. Um, I think it's because it's so massive that yeah. it's just shut down time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Also, my husband has a lot of, um, as he will happily say himself, a lot of autistic traits. So I think a lot of the things that were, you know, that were red flags to me were like, well, I mean, why would you want to be around people? Why would, you know, I feel very, very anxious around. Mm. I don't like crowds. I don't like like I don't particularly like eye contact. I certainly don't want to discuss my emotions in any way. And 
Um, you know, so there was some, there was some, I think he just, he found it more normal. Ethan's behaviour wasn't, he, he gauged that it wasn't totally yeah. usual, but. Yeah, you know. and I think, and I think, you know, to say that, I mean, this not, not everyone has this kind of setup. I think a lot of the time when the dad is at work all day and you're on maternity leave or you're with them all day. Yeah. It's so easy for you to completely to see the whole picture, yeah. and for them, yeah. they only see them at night when they're tired. They go yeah. to bed. Half they go an hour to before sleep. They go yeah. To bed, so yeah. It's... No, no, absolutely. So I read everything that I could find. Everything, every just, just everything. <laughs> did, <laughs> every did, book, did you every... go? Um, did you go privately, or did you? What? How we did you do the diagnosis? And... So we, yeah. So we. I remember thinking, if I just go to anyone. Um, yeah. I get a diagnosis. Robbie won't take it seriously. I knew that I had to find someone that he would really, really respect because he just didn't want it to there be true. Was that. Yeah, I wanted it to be unequivocal, and it had to be. Um, so I found this guy. Um, I can't remember who recommended him to me, but he he worked. At, he had sort of like thirty years experience in it. He worked at Great Ormond Street. He just knew his stuff basically. And I got Robbie to come along, and he assessed. It was, you know, he did a long assessment with Ethan. It was over an hour, two hours or something. And then he spoke to us for about an hour. This was before he turned three. He was about two and three quarters, I'd say. Do you remember one thing they did in the appointment? Yeah, I, I remember them doing um, bubbles um, because that's something that apparently, you know, all just children regardless will be interested in. That's why they tried to engage him in. Cause and effect. And he, yeah, yeah, and it was the first time I'd realised... He, he said he's interested in the bubbles, but he's interested in the bubbles in themselves. He has no interest in interacting with me about the bubbles, including me in his enjoyment of the bubbles. He could enjoy things for the enjoyment's sake, but never in an inclusive way. Yeah. And I started, he said it and I thought, oh my God, you're right. That is how he is about absolutely everything. So the, the, this report wasn't the official diagnosis. It was the guy that I knew would do the diagnosis. Um, I just wanted him to meet him first. And he basically said at the end, listen, I'm very happy to give you an official diagnosis at a later date. He said, but I can tell you now that he is autistic. And again, I had this, well, I had this sinking feeling. I was at this stage, I don't know how pregnant I was with my second. Oh, of course. Six, five months. I No, I was. I was five months pregnant. I was five months pregnant. Okay. So, you know, I just, my hormones were going all over the place and we came out of the session and I cried and Robbie gave me a cuddle and then he had to go back to work so I was just me and I, Ethan I and it was really like I feel really bad for you both imagine having to go back to your desk and just being like but the thing oh. is he was in such denial that right. I think he was fine like he really was He it took him a long 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 time to really think about it or process it at yeah. all I then went back in the in the taxi with Ethan and just couldn't stop crying dark, which dark you know he, because he didn't really react to my emotion, was fine with me having a good old sob. Didn't bother him at all. He was just, you know, in the car. Um, and and, and um, I've heard this one thing and it's, it still gets me every time, but it's, you know, you went in with the same child that you left with. Absolutely. There's nothing, but for some reason in your mind, yep. you think once I get diagnosis, it will change. Yeah. And in some ways it does. It, it, it Not in terms of the love you have for your child, but you have to manage certain disappointments. Mm. 
So then I had Sienna, and <laughs> five weeks afterwards we had the appointment. It was a bad. It was a bad time. Yeah, bad time. It was. It wasn't the best. Um, so we had, and it was much more thorough. This one, it was um, with the speech and language and an OT and the the, the main consultant, and it was I don't know, it was about four hours or something. And um, we sat in there afterwards. Our nanny was with us actually. Um, as well, she was amazing, I should add. Um, she was absolutely incredible with Ethan. Again, she, I think, knew that things weren't quite right, but just didn't put a finger on it, like you know, just like I hadn't. Um, and she sat in there with us, and they basically went through everything and said, you know, he definitely is autistic. Um, we won't know where exactly on the spectrum. He seems relatively high-functioning, but there are certain traits that, yeah. you know, he basically had a lot of symptoms, but mild on all of, of them, course, so yeah. rather than a few that were extreme, um, so he sort of placed higher up in the supposed. Did he get spectrum. a score? Because they gave him Charlie a score of ten, which apparently was really high. Because Charlie's low fun um, at the moment, he's low functioning, yeah. autistic, um, non-verbal. But um, at, they didn't even explain to me what that was. They just said oh. it was high score. I guess that is explaining to yeah. me what it is. But at the time, I'd never even heard high functioning, low functioning. Yeah. I didn't even know anything. What it meant. What it meant. So they were just like, he scores highly. Well, he said he was somewhere in the middle, but I would definitely now say he's high functioning, yeah. much higher functioning than he was. And I think a huge part of that is just, well, you know, some of it is is luck um, and, and some of it is, you know, the, the, the everything you put yeah, into everything it. Yeah, everything you put into it, yeah. Um, but you'll never know because you wouldn't know what they were like without. Yeah. You just have to go on faith, don't you? Yeah, exactly. Um, so then we had so the So you then the had official. a small baby. Had a small baby with us screaming. You know, they gave us the diagnosis and my husband turned around and said in front of all these people, well, I'm feeling very cynical about this. And I thought, oh, let the ground swallow me up. He couldn't support me if he didn't really believe it. Yeah. Um, and also I spent so many months after that trying to really make him understand that it was real, that I couldn't grieve properly because my all my effort was into making it so that he could understand so that we could work together yeah. because I thought it's all very well me understanding. If he doesn't, we can't do this as a team. He's an amazing dad. He's unbelievably patient and kind. Yeah. But he just, you know, the whole engagement in a particular way that you quite often need to be it's just so alien to him he just can't do it it's so it's so alien yeah. he wants to but he just doesn't know how yeah um, and at that time it is a grief it's a whole like body crying scream cry and I what guy do you know has scream no, cried in your arms it just doesn't no, no, absolutely and this is the, the funny thing about grief because it you know I've lost people and it is like it is like the same stages I just was it was just grief I was yeah. devastated then I was and bear in mind that these all still flit about all the time with oh, me oh yeah never goes anger, away anger just really angry at him sometimes poor little thing done nothing to me but just yeah. I just thought why why and it's then, the why me stage it's the why oh, yeah. is this, this isn't to fair me. I'm yeah. a good parent like yeah. and I you know I remember being in the doctor's surgery just down there and there was this woman with her two daughters who she just sat on the phone, she did not even acknowledge them. And they were probably three and five. All they wanted to do was engage and chat to their mum. And I looked at her and I thought, you cow, how dare you? Yeah. How dare you have children like that? Yeah. And I would give my life yeah. for Ethan to turn around and say, mummy, can I show you this? I thought, what a waste. And you feel, and this is the thing I spoke no, to you... Robbie about the other day, envy. It's, it's not really an emotion that 
I felt that much. Like, I, don't get me wrong, I have a million negative points, but envy isn't really my thing. Like, yeah, I've never, you know, I've never minded when people are happier you're, you're, or richer Your life's never been taken or, over by extreme no, jealousy. I, I can't really think of any... I mean, obviously, there's little things, yeah. but there haven't been things where I've just felt this deep, like, God, I, I wish I had that. Like, it's just not my thing. Yeah. Whereas I look at friends... Much less so now, actually, because he's doing so well. But I just look at my friends and their children who, you know, they would just have a conversation or you could interact or they'd show them something or it would be just a joint joy or they would run to them and say, Mummy, or just mm. look happy when they saw them. And I would just feel such envy. I felt like weeping. I just yeah. thought, I want that. And I went through a phase of not being able to be around other people's children because oh, I felt yeah. so devastated yeah. and it just made me so upset. I just didn't want it. I went through a stage and I'm not proud at all. And I was, I, you know, I didn't leave Charlie yeah. at all, but there was time when I found it really hard to be around Charlie because yeah. it was just there all yeah. the time. Yeah. You know, he's different. He's different. Lifelong, mm. developmental disability all these words yep. just going round and round can't handle it can't cope mm. don't want to cope mm. um and again now before you meet other parents like we have mm. with children on the spectrum every other child you ever see isn't yeah. so you're just like i'm the only one what kind of services did you start to access for Ethan? so obviously you you know it's like a minefield out there there are so many ones to avoid and you, you don't know which ones are going to work for your child mm. i just started off with um, OT, occupational therapy and speech and language. Um, they were ones that I felt, reg you know, regardless of yeah. the child would be helpful. And then yeah. I could find techniques, etc., that were helpful to me specifically to use at home later, which is what I did. Um, I also found that there was a brilliant place called the London Children's Practice um, where they had a group um once a week and it was two and a half hours and it was with a speech and language and an OT and it was only 50 pounds which for to having those two very specialized people for two and a half hours yeah. is unbelievable in London um, and they made a huge difference to him in terms of his speech his development and also his ability to interact socially what they say often with OT is that children on the spectrum often don't know where the edges of their body are. I realised the other day that he wouldn't ever jump off anything. We're talking something even, you know, an inch. Yeah, would he off be the quite ground. fearful? Very fearful yeah. because I realised, you know, that he he doesn't know where the edges of things are. He doesn't know the, the distance in space. Yeah. So if I put my hand out towards Charlie, yeah. he'll almost dodge it because my hand must look like a giant snake coming towards no, him. Absolutely. And he when he puts his shoes on, for example. His, he won't look down at his feet. He doesn't use his systems together. So if he's walking along, um, you know, a tightrope, Ethan would just walk and not look at his feet. Yeah. Truly, like, he'll try and do it through touch. He doesn't know how to use his systems together. And you don't realise when your child's diagnosed that those are kind of issues, big issues. Yeah. But they're huge in terms of being able to help them to learn how to write and how to hold things. All those things have to use different systems together and it's a way of helping to bring all those systems, you know, they're through lots of exercises, through different techniques. Um, and already, you know, I've been doing this, lots of OT with him, um, trying to help him to learn. It's Because, again, it's not about saying, look at your feet, because that doesn't mean anything to him. Yeah. It's using exercises through play that he has to do it to be able to do something. And then he realises, oh, those two systems work together. I can do this better if I, if I look. One thing, actually, just to, to give people advice on this, um, depending, obviously, how young your child is, but when there's very specific things like the running away, 
Um, that was just so dangerous. We, he very, very nearly got run over at some point. He ran into the main road. Robbie just caught his coat in time and he was into an oncoming okay. truck. Truly, it was awful in Blackheath. And I had a little cry about that as well. <laughs> so I was so scared. We wrote this social story and basically all I did was take some pictures. I got Robbie to take some pictures of me because he responds to photos, not really pictures. Right, yeah. So it has to be... He it has, has to, to be relevant is, to him. Yeah. So pictures of Robbie, me and Ethan putting on his shoes, leaving the house um, and walking behind me. And then there was a picture of Ethan running off and me showing a car. And I said, it's dangerous. So I, d- I don't know how old he was at this stage. Over three. We So we put these, these uh, pictures printed them out, put them on some paper and put them into just a plastic folder yeah. and wrote, kind of wrote, well, sort of said the story, look, here's mummy doing this, you know, you're putting on your shoes, look, you're running away, no, that's dangerous. And we'd show the car and we said, that can hurt. And then literally the next day we went out, he walked off the pavement and he said, don't walk on the road, it's dangerous. So he was probably about three, no, he must be about three and a quarter by then, I'd say at least. But, um, and that made a really big difference. So sometimes social stories can just yes. help with really specific things. Yeah. Um, That's a really good tip, actually, because some people, you do get really downhearted when you go to a lot of workshops and they're like, fill your house with series of oh pictures. God, yeah, you do, can't do it. Oh, it's, it's exhausting. Just, yeah, it's exhausting. You think... I'm literally running around after them trying, trying not to, to keep yeah. them safe, let alone sticking, printing loads of things. But Absolutely. yeah, for specific things. So Charlie has them for um, going to grandma's house. Do, do they help him? Because it's kind of difficult to know what he's understanding, what he's not understanding. Yeah. But just by his behaviour, yeah. he seems a lot happier when he knows. When he knows. Okay. And I'm like, you're going to grandma's house. You're going to spend the night, have a picture of his bed. Yeah. And it's almost like when grandma comes to pick him up or granddad, he knows. Day to day, I've been doing, of, of the approaches that I have read, the thing that I found massively helps Ethan is floor time approach. It's a literal floor time approach. So you are on the ground with your child and it's everything is through play. So it's child-led. So if Ethan is, for example, playing with a train, this was in the early stage. Now I can I can do this much more with him. But in the early stage when he had language, he would sort of be vaguely interested in me being around, but not really to play. So he'd be playing with his train in the tunnel and I'd bring another train in and I'd obstruct his train. And then he'd look at me, you know, what are you doing? And then we'd sort of, it was it was bringing myself into his play and he would, he'd be interested in that. You'd, you'd do it through obstruction. Then later on when he became more verbal, it was amazing for teaching concepts to him. So if you, you know, if he was eating and I said, asked him to share with Sienna, that didn't mean anything to him and he didn't care because it wasn't relative to anything he was interested in. So when he was playing with his dinosaur, um, I got some of these, you know, like those plastic, like um, peas or whatever it was, some kind of food, like the plastic fake food. And um, he was, I got him to play with the dinosaur and we got dinosaur to eat the food. And then I got another dinosaur to come along and I said, red dinosaur wants some. I said, can red dinosaur have some? And then he let red dinosaur have some. I said, look, they're sharing. And then he said, he's sharing. And then he'd have someone. And he got the concept immediately because it was in relation to something that he was interested in. His interests. And it was just amazing. Just little things like, you know, teaching him emotion. Again, it's all through the play. So... Again, we did it with the train. You know, the train went into the tunnel and I got it to smash into something. And I said, oh, the train hurt. It's hurting the train. The train's feeling sad. Look, he's feeling sad, Ethan. What can we do? What can we give the train? And he said, like, a plaster. And I said, let's give the train a plaster. And what do, what, what do I do when I make you feel, you know, you, and he'd, he'd sort of 
add things. I said, maybe we could give him a... And I'd rub his arm and he said, a stroke. And I said, yes. So what advice would you give to parents who have recently received diagnosis? Try as quickly as you can to see your GP so that you can get in um, with the local um, paediatrician. Yeah. That's the first step. And the earlier you do it, it takes months and months. So do that, follow up, because we did do that as well. Um, nearly always the council has a, um, a system like Kaleidoscope in Lewisham where they have drop-in speech and language, drop-in OT, and it's free. You can go there, take your child. Um, they can give you advice. They'll be the ones who will absolutely know if there are sim- symptoms. Um, the biggest thing if you, when you get the diagnosis is not to feel guilty about all the emotions that you have. You yeah. will feel angry you'll feel angry towards your child you'll feel angry at the world you'll feel envious and angry with your friends and upset and you mustn't beat yourself up because that's the biggest thing I spend my life feeling guilty in some capacity towards someone about something I'm feeling and and you do in life but as an autistic parent even more so yeah it is a big life change it is there's so much to get your head around and it, yeah. and it will continue to be every step. You know, uh, Ethan at this stage doesn't have friends yet. He likes being around people. I know when he's older and other children pick up more on him being different, that will break my heart. And if one more person says to me, but it's fine because he doesn't know. I know for him. And, yeah. you know, sometimes it's enough. Sometimes you can just say it's all right because he doesn't feel the pain. But sometimes I feel he does. Because I'm such a social person and I have friends, I know the joy I get from that. And it doesn't matter how much I say to myself, he doesn't care. I know that he will never have that necessarily, have that joy, and that makes me feel incredibly sad. And it doesn't matter if people say that he doesn't know. I know for him and I know that that's a joy that he will never experience and I struggle with that. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's a constant like it will hit me in times of like when I'm so busy with Charlie all day I'm just getting on with things mm. I'm doing things for him I'm trying to help him and then when he goes to bed or when I'm doing something really mundane like doing the washing up and that's when I'll just get kind of really just look into the distance and mm. think oh god it's still here yeah. it's not going to go away no absolutely Charlie's autistic for life um, and yeah it is those things of like he's never he might never go to uni he might never have a relationship uh, yeah and, friends. and that's what we're saying you know you will have all these dark thoughts and um, it's completely normal too but you will laugh again oh god and you will yes. oh. and you will smile and you will feel that intense love for your child even more so well this this is what I did want to get to is that the moments make me a little bit tearful actually the moments that no. I have with Ethan when I'm close to him which are more and more because he's he's talking loads now he's engaging he's actually giving loads of eye contact because all this stuff I would genuinely got to advocate the floor time approach it's just an amazing way of helping him to want to interact and it's he's come along leaps and bounds it is quite unbelievable mm. to see the change in him and the enjoyment that he has you know the other day for example I went away with a friend for a couple of nights and it's the first time I've ever left Sienna actually and I came back and I was expecting her to react because she always does. Yeah. But normally if I come into a room and I haven't seen Ethan, he'll just look at me and then carry on with what he's doing. So I wasn't expecting anything, you know, and I came in and he looked at me, he really looked at me and he said, Mummy, and he went, kisses. And I kissed mm. him and he went, and another, and another, and another. And I oh just was God. like... The joy of those moments of intimacy with him 
I I feel almost sorry for Sienna. She will never reach those for me. Yeah. Like that joy of that connection and the beauty of him. He is such a gentle, beautiful little yeah. boy. Think it's, about the progress he's made from three oh, to four. He's only he's nearly four. Just imagine what he'll you know, know achieve by five and Exactly. And those moments are beautiful, you know, they will be okay. That you know, that's what I've really realised. I thought, you know, you, you do have to give up on certain views but you have to view you have to learn a different normal you know and the, and the great unknown is is frightening for anyone and, it, and it's obviously much more so with an autistic child but I just I can I, I feel in my gut he's going to be okay now like yeah. and I didn't feel like that at all when yeah. he was younger I thought you know he's never going to be able to be okay live alone I, I really do feel like that now I feel yeah. that he will and he's engaged with the world and it's just getting better and better um and just the other piece of advice is it's not about all that, you know, you don't, these services aren't all things that are paid for. You know, hit up your local kaleidoscope equivalent, find out what services there are, you know, the, all the charities, all charities, join Signal, yeah. join all these, these you know, autism awareness things. Um, and, you know, and also things like the London Children's Practice, which have really cheap yeah. sessions. Find up, out about those. There are so many things that you can utilise without paying. What are your hopes uh, for Ethan in the future? Um, I hope that school is can be as joyful an experience as possible. I know it's not joyful for anyone, um, really, um, even for a neurotypical child, but that children, I think more than anything, that other people will be kind and caring to him. I know that that's not going to be the case with everyone, mm. but that generally people will see him and sort of think he's in some ways different enough that they won't tease him do you know what I mean it's almost more if someone's a little bit quirky that they're more likely to I hope that children will be be kind to him yeah and I Um, hope the children will be you know educated and as what I hope for Charlie that their teacher or their parents will say to them you know autism is um you know a problem with communication but they can understand everything you're saying yeah absolutely and it can hurt them because I think it it can you know it can of course they feel pain if they're left out and stuff um in the long term, I'd love for him to be able to live independently to some degree at least and have not necessarily a relationship. Obviously, I would love for him to have a relationship, but I, I appreciate that that may not be possible. But certainly to have, I don't, maybe it's a different definition of friendship, but people in his life outside of his family that he likes to be around and really like being around him. Yeah. I know. Do you know what I mean? Even yeah. if it's just shared interest rather than a friend in the way that you or I would have, just people that he enjoys and I think that's what it's about enjoyment and genuinely care about him and generally will put the time in because a lot of people you know their child or someone doesn't engage with them straight away they'll just give up because that's your natural your human thing is you're always wanting that feedback but you know just keep going and they will the love that they will give you when you put the time in is like we were saying it's worth he is I just nothing brings me more joy than him. It's in total exasperation, but joy like no one else could ever bring me. Yeah. The last question I wanted to ask you, Anna. Um, so, when you tell people that you have a child on the autistic spectrum, what would you like their response to be? So, I was thinking about this yesterday because I was thinking about all the different responses that people have had to me, and I and I feel quite sorry for people. They don't know what to say. Some will just go, "Oh, right, okay," and pretend like it's nothing because they think that they they want to do that to, to be sort of supportive of you to be kind mm. or they're like oh my god i mean that must be you must be de- devastated you i'm know, so you're like, sorry is the worst one yeah 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 <laughs> i'm so i think actually the times that if the people that have sort of said okay they're interested they say 
okay, so how is he, you know, how is he now? How is he day to day? Like, how does he get on? Like, they show interest and they, it's not like, oh, what is autistic? It's like, how does that manifest day to day? Well, Anna, thank you so much for You're being very welcome. I hope it's been helpful to someone somewhere. Thank you. Autism is a spectrum condition. All autistic people share certain difficulties, but being autistic will affect them in different ways. Some autistic people also have learning disabilities, mental health issues, or other conditions, meaning people need different levels of support. All people on the autism spectrum learn and develop. With the right sort of support, all can be helped to live a more fulfilling life of their own choosing. For more information about autism, please visit the National Autistic Society website on autism.org.uk. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, maybe even write a little review and rate us. This podcast was created and produced by myself, Maisie Clater, and recorded and edited by Kit Milsom.